I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Waiting for you in the next hour, a writer whose entire zoo internship entailed waiting for snow leopards to mate. A musician that Spin Magazine calls one to watch, which will be hard because this is radio. And a comic whose love of cats knows some bounds. I have become known for my cats because I have made my cats known. I talked about them constantly on my radio show and now on my podcast. I want it to be known now I am not a cat guy I am a my cat guy. I don't care about your cats. I will pretend to if I come over. I'll say things like, oh, look at that guy. Look at that nice cat. Secretly, I will be thinking, what a sad, fat, ugly, dumb cat you have. Look at that thing. It's a feline train wreck. It looks like it's days away from hanging itself from its scratching post. It can't even muster up the gumption to play with what's left of that fake mouse you gave it. It doesn't go outside. It's just a hostage to your pain and neediness. Wow, you should probably put that cat down before it dies of ennui. I don't say all that. I say, oh, look at that little cat. Look at that cat, so cute. It's, it's... From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with comic and WTF podcaster Mark Marin, author Monica Drake, and music from Natasha Cometo. It's all coming up on Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. You also got comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with the always relevant reflections by the pool. And music from our house band, led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. I thought it was kind of interesting what Mark uh, was saying about his internal thoughts about people's cats versus uh, what he actually says to them about their cats. Because one of the things about his podcast, WTF, and a lot of the sort of podcasts and other writings and performance, performances that go on these days is that they're, they're considered to be maybe overshares, right? We have a lot of people talking about their sort of, um, you know, their pathos and their problems. And yet I think that the problem really that we're dealing with is that we all feel very comfortable oversharing, right? But we like to do it online. Most of us are huge pussies about doing it to people's faces. You know what I mean? Like, we talk a lot of smack in the internet realm. I'll give you a perfect example. There, I live in Seattle, and there is a scourge there known as bikini baristas. Do they have these in, in Portland? These are little coffee shacks where you go up, and it's a, a female who's wearing, uh, you know, next to nothing, making your coffee. And there are so many of them in Seattle that you could drive up to a place and not even know you're being bikini baristaed. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't set out to get a nudity-based coffee experience. <laughs> You just wanted a cup of coffee, and then you look up. And I drove up to a little spot, and I looked up, and I realized the girl was sort of 
not wearing enough clothes for the weather, but she wasn't naked, and I wasn't sure what was happening. And then I tried the coffee, and it was the worst coffee I had ever had in my life. And I looked at her, and I said, you need to get way more naked or way better at making coffee. Um, But I didn't. I wrote it on their Yelp page later because... Because I like to overshare and say mean things, but not to anybody's uh, face. If you, this is another example. You might live in like a nice Portland neighborhood, people driving the Subarus and listening to the public radio. They may seem like normal people to you. They smile when they see you walking into your house. Have you seen what we are naming our Wi-Fi routers? <laughs> Master 24. Is that Greg? (laughs) There is a router in my neighborhood called Luke is a Fraud, which is deeply hurtful for me. I feel like maybe the, the most gross sort of example of this, and I do mean that in the most literal sense, is the things that people will write on their online alternative sex ads. This is from the Portland Mercury, your Portland Mercury. This is an actual ad. Beat me with a salmon while I do my thing onto a Frank Sinatra record. No freaks. It's your city, people. I mean... I guess I feel like we should really try to set a policy going forward that we won't write anything online that we wouldn't say to someone's face or that might get us arrested if we did so. And I'm speaking particularly to somebody who's called Hameister24 (laughs) on Twitter who's been saying some really hurtful things about my fill-in hosting uh, this year. But anyway, we'll get past it. All right, you guys ready to do a radio show? All right. Our first guest was a conservatory-trained musician who nearly became a professional session musician before she decided to strike out on her own with her sleek and energetic electronic music. She's played Coachella and South by Southwest and shared the stage with the likes of Kid Cudi. Please welcome one of Spin Magazine's five best new artists from May 2013, Natasha Cometo to Livewire. Love you make some dance wrong for you 
Natasha Cometo here on Livewire. So you started out playing more traditional music. How does that sort of training inform what you're doing here? Because um, you're not playing, for people out there in Radioland, you weren't playing 74 instruments there. It's true. <laughs> you have, you, it's tell, true. tell me about the equipment actually you have here that you're using. Um, so I'm using a uh, really old MacBook that's running Ableton Live, which is software. Um, Do you ever get like a Facebook message while you're doing a show? No, <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't run the internet on this machine. This is Smart. purely for music. Um, yeah, I'm running Ableton Live, which um, I'm using a MIDI controller that's been mapped to certain effects that uh, allow me to manipulate and improvise inside of a composition. So the way I like to equate it for people is it's kind of like um, live composing. I have my symphony here, and I can choose when I bring in parts and bring out parts. And all the effects you're hearing on my voice are all run through MIDI controls. And But you're activating all of that stuff in real time, right? Yes, a lot of it, yeah. Is that stressful? <laughs> I don't feel like it's any more stressful than playing a drum kit and singing or playing piano and singing or guitar and singing. I guess I just watch because I'm a big fan of the kind of music that you make and I watch people who are, you know, have to activate. Well, I don't know if you could say, for instance, like Girl Talk, okay, the DJ. It's not exactly the same thing, but if you've ever watched him, there, every song there are like 400 tasks he has to operate and yeah. it really stresses me out as he a person runs, watching yeah. it. He runs Max MSP, I think. He, like, codes all of his own stuff, which is really legit. Um, yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of complicated procedures. Would you ever want to go back to, or do you ever just play with live music people, or is that, like, is that just not done anymore? Um, no, it's done. Because <laughs> we got to tell Ralph and the band, their days are numbered. No, it's... <laughs> it's done. It's, um... It's interesting because, um, budget-wise, this is this travels a lot easier, so... Um, would I like to be on stage with more people? Yes. Am I a little bit of a control freak, though? Yes. Have I been in bands most of my life? Yes. And it's nice. I can rehearse whenever I want to. My band agrees with me. You know? <laughs> there's no fighting. There's no scheduling yeah. conflicts. It's nice. All right. That's Natasha Cometo, ladies Thank and you. gentlemen. Thank you so much. Sorry for the wait. Oh, de nada. Gracias. I can't wait to see what you ordered. I've never had a date order an entire meal in another language. It was very impressive. <laughs> well, I didn't take a year of high school Spanish for nothing. Well, I think it's very sexy. You're like Antonio Banderas. Oh, oh, oh I don't know. Puss in boots. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon, uh, senor and senorita, here are your drinks and appetizers. Uh, I'm sorry, but I, I, I don't think this is what I ordered. Yes, this is. You ordered the blended salsa and Jägermeister margarita. Oh! Uh, uh, that, I may have misspoke on that, but what, what is this appetizer? It sounded so good, but it does look a little weird. It's uh, nachos con gato y flores en la biblioteca. Or uh, nachos with cat and flowers in the library. Oh, oh dear. Yes, we were confused by your order as well, but we aim to please. So we just did our best. For the books, all we had was a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird uh, and last month's Esquire, so we put those in a blender with some dandelions from our sidewalk cracks. The cat, however, is very fresh. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. No, Paco was very happy you ordered this. We've had some issues with our garbage cans. Okay, no, no. That's not what I thought I was ordering. Uh, we'll just wait for the main course. Certainly, senor. It's actually pretty good. I know I ordered something else. Well, maybe your Spanish is rustier than you thought. Maybe. Okay, here we go. Oh, this looks very festive. <laughs> what the hell is this? Is what you ordered. Fajita to coche con maíz y que hora es con la batería. Yeah, yeah. You ask for car fajita with corn and what time is it with a battery? Oh, oh no. Now, this was tricky. 
We couldn't get your whole car, so we chose a tender part of your passenger seat, embraced the shredded feeling with some cilantro and lime. Surprisingly piquant. Mmm, crunchy. Mm. And don't worry about the battery acid. It definitely cooked down. It's more of an acid reduction. And it turns out Swatch pairs nicely with car seat. Oh, good Lord. And for you, ma'am. La sangre de una cabra virgen sobre mi madre con un zapato picante and un burrito de la parada de autobus. The blood of a virgin goat covers your mother with a shoe burrito and a bus stop. Sharon! Mom? Hi, dear. Your father and I are so proud that you're out with a girl. Oh, excuse me, a lady. My mother is covered in blood. As you ordered, senor. Miguel found a young goat and was able to slaughter it on the premises. As for the burrito, we used a slightly used loafer. Mm. And we all were prepared in the men's bathroom as you requested. Look at you speaking Espanol. He's so smart, he could be a congressman. I, I'm going to be sick. You know what? We're, we're just going to go. No, but we worked so hard on your dessert order. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. No, we, can we just get the check? Okay, I'll be right back. Miguel, get the Backstreet Boys out of the meat grinder. You think we could get a doggy bag for these cat nachos? Please stop eating those. That was Laura Faye Smith, Andrew Harris, and Trisha Ferguson. You're listening to Livewire, Verdad de Radio para la Cerveza y los Perros y Donde Está el Baño. Or for our non-Spanish-speaking audience, Radio Variety, for beer and, and dogs. And where's the bathroom? Quedarse <laughs> with us for author Monica Drake, W2F's Mark Marin, poet Scott Poole, and more from Natasha Cometo. Estaremos de vuelta. recently published novel, The Stud Book, is an exploration of parenthood, why we do it, why we don't, and why we obsess over our choice no matter which one we make. Here with an essay about her observations of animal and child behavior, please welcome Monica Drake. So we'd gone out for pizza, my husband and me and our daughter, and these, there were these worn-out cushions on the benches at this pizza place, and I watched as our three-year-old girl pressed her tiny face right into the cushions, into the sag and faded spots, and she gathered this one loose cushion into her arms. It was long, meant to seat maybe two adults or more kids, and it was tattered and flattened, and it looked like it could stand a run through a wash machine. But she held it tight like an old friend, and she couldn't get that raggedy, worn-out upholstery close enough. So my husband and I, we just sipped our pints and waited for pizza and talked in that way that parents do when they're glad to have a moment together. And we let our daughter entertain herself with her friend, the dirty old cushion. <laughs> and it was totally gross, this pillow business, but it wouldn't hurt her. And after a few deep breaths, a deep inhale, she said... Those smell like some different kind of boys there, Mama. <laughs> kids, kids are human, yes. 
But my daughter, our darling beauty, she smelled those cushions the way our dog smells cushions. She smelled them in search of some complicated clues. So she'd been collecting information on the kids who sat there before us. And we'd seen those kids on the way out. There had been four boys and one girl at the table right next to ours. Every one of the kids was maybe a year apart, making this ladder of ages from three years old and on up. And they were out with their dad. They were this tumble of gorgeous children, this mess of blonde hair, dirty faces, blue eyes, red cheeks, and they were totally out of control. The kids had him totally outnumbered. They were under the table, then across the table, then on the table. They were up off the bench, then they climbed over each other and rearranged themselves. And the dad said, we don't act like that in a restaurant. And the kids showed that, yeah, they did. They very much did act like that. And he said, Jin, honey, I don't ever want to see you do that again. To some act of defiance, she probably did again immediately. And he said, look, if we can't settle down, we're going to take this pizza home. And the kids were unfazed. They were like, pizza, home, whatever. And they wore these handmade sweaters, and they had this tangled hair, and they looked like they deserved to be raised in some totally untrammeled wilderness to get their own fresh start in a clean world where they could make up their own rules. And I thought, what would it be like to live with that crazy richness and chaos of five kids, all so close in age? They were five little animals. And for the minutes they were there, I just couldn't take my eyes off them. And when they left, their exit was as good as choreographed. The father went first, he kind of stormed out, and the kids followed. But first two hid under the table, then three kids came running back to get the two that were under the table, and one grabbed another's hand, and two of those ducked out, and three more stayed, and then two more went, and the last, the smallest, lagged behind, and finally four came back and collected their little sibling. And then they all went out together in the swooping arc like a flock of migrating swifts. Our daughter is an only child. She watched the kids, this tribe, as closely as I did, and then she smelled those cushions where they'd been sitting. It was like she wanted a trace, a hint of their lives, and I watched her bury her face in the pillows, and my husband said, how many asses have sat on those things? <laughs> I've read that standard poodles have the IQ of an average three-year-old child. This assessment was based on vocabulary. You tell a trained poodle to sit, and the dog sits. Tell a kid to sit, and who knows what happened. I tried it at least once with my own child, and it was in the middle of a poetry reading, and it didn't work out at all. But we still think the child knows the word sit and the word please. So I don't trust the results of that study. I think three-year-olds know a lot more than we think. And in my own little study, I'd flip it around. I'd say babies and toddlers have the olfactory capabilities of the average bloodhound. I learned this from my daughter. One morning, I poured her a bowl of Cheerios, and a little tiny, tiny black ant floated, swimming in the milk. And I was in the kitchen, and my daughter was out at the table in the next room, and before she could see it, I did what hundreds of mothers before me have done. I flicked the ant out of the bowl and pretended it never happened. Then I went around the corner and put the cereal in front of my little cherub, and she wrinkled up her face, and she said, this smells like ant, Mom. <laughs> and I didn't even know ants had a smell, but it turns out that scout ants, the ones who search for food, they leave an odor for their colony to follow, and each colony has its own scent, and my daughter could probably tell you what each of those are. But when you crush an ant, it gives off this awful whiff of formic acid, and it's an ant alarm pheromone. So ants tell this story in a trail of scent they leave behind, and they use scent to define insider from outsider, their own colony from another colony. And at three, my daughter could read the drama of one single ant's memoir on the side of her cereal bowl. So years ago, I studied animal behavior. I was an intern at the Oregon Zoo, and I had a timer and a clipboard, and my job was to record certain animals' behavior at intervals. And now, as a mom, I realize how much toddlers really are just little animals. So my daughter was born in four minutes in an emergency C-section, and the medical staff hung a blue cloth across my chest to block my view so I couldn't see my own body cut open. And they lifted that girl out, 
And I saw her when she rose above that blue curtain, and she came into the world covered in blood, and she was this little V-shape in the doctor's hands, and her legs unfolded like this fast-motion movie of a flower blooming, or like a colt or a fawn, and I was still slashed open through the middle, and I was numb up to my shoulders, but that honestly was the best day of my life. How weird is that? And I've been watching her ever since, and I've been listening, and when she was a newborn, I didn't know her at all. I'd look at her all day long. I studied her every eyelash and every bit of skin and her hair and her hands. And one day my mom said, Monica, babies don't like to be stared at. You need to smile and make little faces. But researchers don't smile and make faces. And I was doing research and I was trying to learn what I'd brought home and what I had now in my house, this new little person. But okay, I smiled. I'd smell her hair and pull her close, and now I listen to her stories, and sometimes I know I look like a permissive mom. And at the pizza place, I let her press every inch of that dirty pillow to her new skin, and I let her smell the pillows, I let her taste the pillows, I let her chew on them and feel them, because all we're doing, we're all gathering information all the time, and while she smelled the worn-out cushions, while she searched for clues to the lives of those other kids... I watched her because she's my daughter, but she's her own person. And I don't pretend to know yet exactly who she is. I just try not to let her catch me staring. Thank you so much. That was Monica Drake. Her latest novel is The Stud Book. Livewire is sponsored in part by Ergo Depot, the Northwest company committed to helping people sit differently, which may not seem like a big deal, but when was the last time anybody felt really energetic after a good long sit? They've got an entire line of ergonomically designed sit-stand desks and saddle stools created for healthy sitting, which it turns out is not an oxymoron anymore. More information can be found at ergodepot.com. Here now with a poem about parenthood, please welcome the author of Hiding from Salesman in the Sliding Glass Door, poet Scott Poole with Reflections by the Pool. When you're given the duty of watching young children for the first time and you're not really used to it, like your kid's like three days old, it's an amazing descent into your essential human nature. This is called, What the Hell Happened While I Was Gone? <laughs> well, uh, I had sex with you, remember that? Well, that wasn't tonight, but earlier. And then pop and whoa and what do you know and diapers and milk and people awake wrongly everywhere. And babies are cute when they first come into the world, right? Except when you want to send them out into the street to play even though they can't walk. But I, I didn't do that because they're so cute and you decide to hug them instead and they throw up on you. And then you want to throw them up in the air lovingly and make them giggle and that makes you giggle and that makes them giggle and that makes you giggle and that makes them giggle. But then they begin to cry for no perceptible reason. So you decide to run a marathon inside your poor living situation because everyone has a poor living situation when they have a baby. And you think for some reason that doing an incredibly taxing activity like running in place for an hour is somehow going to make the baby tired but instead makes you less able to deal with their cries which is why you must first fix yourself a delicious beverage. And if they cry on the floor, so what? Who cares? It doesn't affect you. You could just imagine them as a fully functional, real-size adult having a tantrum on the floor to get attention. And that you're the world's biggest person, so big that everyone else on Earth looks like a baby. And if they want to have a tantrum on the floor, that each baby-looking adult's right to do so and none of your damn business. And that's a fun game, pretending you're the world's biggest responsible person. Wow, what's in these gin and tonics? And now you realize that you're not really that responsible, and you're only big in the wrong places. And you start crying, and the baby is crying, and you're crying together, and it becomes kind of a contest to see who can cry the loudest. And it's kind of a contest that winning means you've lost the most. But it's still better than watching television. You swore you wouldn't watch television in front of the baby because of the shooting and the screaming and the explosions and the dead people, yuck. But hey, this show has the duckies and the deer, and it's just the Oregon Field Guy guide. And hey, look at the 
funny moose with the thing on its head, and it's a beautifully programmed. Really, it is great production values. I think it won a Grammy or Emmy or Grammy. And how about a graham cracker? And that's why you came home and found me passed out on the floor with the baby sitting on my chest with a full diaper watching Downtown Abbey. <laughs> it's not my fault. Isn't he cute? Thank you. That's Scott Poole with Reflections by the Pool. And we are back! Our next guest is the director of the San Diego Zoo. Please welcome back Jack Hanna. Thank you. So, Jack, uh, what do you got there? Well, this here is Lenny. Hi, Lenny. And uh, Lenny is, is what's known as a Hoffman uh, two-toed sloth, and he's native to South America. It looks like he likes you. Well, well sloths are arboreal, so they tend to cling to things pretty tightly. Uh, now, these guys can live up to about 25 years in the wild, and uh, their, diet, their, uh, their diet consists mostly of leaves, but occasionally... Uh, what's, what's that noise he's making? Well, Lenny spotted a, a California condor. I got backstage, and uh, it looks, looks like he's a little nervous. It sounds like he's only doing that whenever you talk. Uh, no, he's, he's not doing that. Uh, yes, he is. Every time you start talking, he goes nuts. You know, I think he's just nervous from the condor. Sloths typically Well, there, there he goes again. Uh, well, sloths have a lot of, of predators in the wild. And decide... Aside from their claws, they don't really have much to defend themselves, so they have to use a high-pitched scream to keep enemies at bay. But the reason, the, the reason, the reason I want to talk about uh, sloths is the deforestation that threatens their survival. Damn it! Oh, Jack, I uh, hate to break it to you, but I think he hates your voice. Uh, no, no, that, that's just crazy. Okay, okay, that's crazy talk right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, as I was saying, if we don't act to preserve conservation of the rainforest, the species of sloth I got here, like like Lenny, could be extinct in up to twenty years. Uh, yeah, somehow that's not really sounding too sad. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, thanks, Jack. Uh, why don't you bring on the California condor? I'm sorry, uh, Donna. Can you take Lenny for me? Okay. All right, now this here is Mabel. She's a four-year-old... She's a four-year-old condor. Damn it! Courtney Hommeister. Uh, Andrew Harris, Trisha Ferguson, Sean McGrath, basis for radio. Our next guest's comedy career hasn't exactly followed what you might call a traditional trajectory after working the comedy clubs for more than 20 years and appearing on Comedy Central, HBO, and every late-night talk show you might be able to think of. He began hosting the show Morning Sedition on Air America. After his contract on that show was not renewed, he got, uh, we're going to be honest, a little bit on the bitter side of things. But he's channeled that bitterness into what is now one of the most popular podcasts on the internet, WTF with Mark Marin. It's also been picked up by NPR, which makes it surprisingly the only NPR show with in the title. All of that success has led to his new TV show, Marin on IFC, where we learn what happens when Mark takes his cat to the vet. Things are going pretty well for me right now, but that's a problem because when things are going well, that means there's a, there's a voice in my head saying, you're going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up, Mark, just over and over again. I just wish that voice were louder than the voice screaming, let's screw it up. A few years ago, I was planning on killing myself in my garage, and now I'm doing the best thing I've ever done in my life in that same garage. It's a podcast. You know what a podcast is? I've been on Conan O'Brien like 47 times, and you don't know who I am, right? Is it important that people know who you are? Did I tell you about that uh, dream that I had with us? It was me and you. We're in the jungle, and we're surrounded by animals. 
and it's like some sort of uh, class of some kind, and the animals are studying us having sex. Okay, that's just... Okay. Well, the good news is that Boomer just has a little stomach virus, so uh, I'm going to give you some medicine that you give to him every few hours, okay? Yeah, okay, thanks. That's a lot of honesty for a pet-related event, you guys. He's also written a strikingly honest, hilarious new memoir called Attempting Normal. Please welcome Mark Marin to Livewire. Boomer does live in my heart and in the minds of everyone. Now, there, now there's like 100 people, 200, like, who's Boomer? Yeah, will you explain? Sure. Boomer is a cat that, uh, that I had for years that I had to put outside because he peed on stuff. And, uh, and he disappeared. Now, I could look at that in two ways. You know, it, perhaps he was eaten by coyotes, but that's negative. Um, I like to picture him in a, in a home not far from mine with a nice lady who brought him in and gave him nice wet food that was better than the food I gave him. And that he's living happily, not with other cats, and he's got that whole house to himself with that nice lady. And if I ever find that bitch, I'm going to take my cat back and scold her for stealing him. You have a pretty unorthodox way, though, of getting new cats, including essentially trapping and bringing feral kittens into your queen's apartment? When, when I got the original uh, Astoria Cats... It was like I was doing radio. I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning. I would go outside, and there were like five kittens eating out of the garbage. And I took a bunch of shoe boxes, two of them, put food in them, trapped four of these cats, brought them into my apartment, not knowing that if they're eating on their own, they're wild animals. They're wild. They don't like you. They don't want to be in a box. And now they're in my apartment. All right, two of them went behind my stove and just were there for two days going like that. Would you favor the audience with what you named these Well, I will. I'll tell you. But that, okay, well, here's what happened. Monkey just tried to jump out of a window. We're, I'm two stories up. Tried to jump out. Thank God there was a screen. He climbed up the screen and, like, wedged himself between the screen and the window for, like, for hours. And then the one that became La Fonda, and she's crazy. She's, like, Vietnam crazy, all right? But there's a reason. LaFonda, the first thing she did when she got into the house was get stuck on a glue trap, right? So this cat that I don't know, flopping around on this glue trap, and I had to rip this wild animal off a glue trap. So I ripped her off the glue trap. She ripped up my hands. So I provided that war for her. You know, like from now on, from here on out, she's twitchy. And I know why. It's because of that, because of that moment. And quite honestly, I couldn't get them out of my apartment. And the saddest part of this story, Luke, is... I just wanted friends. And, and yeah, because got, you flew yeah. them across the country. Two of them. them. And how Two. much of that was because your marriage was falling apart? It's in your book. I know. I wrote the book. <laughs> well, no, I flew them across the country because I had to go home. The marriage part's not related to that. The marriage, the marriage part is related to me screaming at my wife. The... Uh, <laughs> I didn't scream at the cats. I was nice to the cats. If I was as nice to my wife as I was to those damn cats, I'd still be married, Luke. Thank you. But, um, but no, I did take them. I did have to take feral cats across country. The, the, the ex-wife took one of them, and he was okay. But LaFonda, Vietnam crazy LaFonda, I had to get her into a cage, which required I had to put leather gloves on. And I had to, I had to, I had to invest a morning into this project because... Even if you just have regular cats, man, to get them into the cage, it's traumatic. And sometimes you've only got one shot. I, maybe some cat owners could relate to that. Like, if you don't, like, get that cage open the night before thinking that they don't know it's there, and, you know, and you got to time it out right. It's got to be one thing, because if you screw that up, you're, you can't, and it's gonna, another three days before you can try again. You got to call the vet and go, it's not happening today. It's not, yeah. I know she's sick, but she's not going. She's not going. And these are wild cats. So like, I got leather gloves on, and I grabbed LaFonda, and she bit through the glove, bit through the glove, got her into the cage, my hand's bleeding. So I get her into the cage. I've never flown with cats. So I get to, to, to Kennedy, I get to the TSA with my cat, 
and I put it on the belt. And the TSA guy goes, no, you got you to take that cat out of the box and walk it through. So, so I'm like, what? You know what it took me to get her into that cage? She's not getting out of that cage. I became a crazy cat person. You know, people were looking at me weird. And, and he's like, oh, well, then you can't go through. And I'm like, look at my hands. You know? So finally, after I made a scene, like I made such a scene that when I did take LaFonda out, the guy acted like I had a bomb. Like he was running like, everyone stand back. You know, and I got LaFonda. <laughs> and she was so freaked out, she just wanted to get back in the cage. It was beautiful. My fear was that I would end up having to chase her, you know, through the airport. I just picture this, like, Disney montage of me, like, you know, running around a baggage carousel, you know, you know trying to get this cat. There, but those two are there. The other two I gave away to uh, people that like those kind of cats. And, but the, the two I have are living quite the life. Boomer was not part of that crew. Right. Boomer's gone. Right. But, he, but, but he lives. But Boomer lives. Yes. As, as fans of your podcast say and, and your other projects, we're talking to Mark Marin. This is Live Wire Radio. Mark's the guy behind the WTF podcast. Um, there are people who describe the tone on your podcast as being very confessional. And you were saying to me in the back room that People will say, oh, it's like on-air therapy for you, but you don't feel like that's the accurate way to describe it. I hate when people say therapy about anything. It's like, shut up. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, everybody, if anyone talks for more than 10 minutes, they're like, it's like therapy. No, it's like conversation. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I just don't know what the culture has become to where when people talk either on mics or off mics about issues that affect them personally to another human being, it's like, oh, that guy's in trouble. You know what I mean? No, he's a person. I mean, I mean, theoretically, maybe it's just careerism, maybe it's just narcissism. I don't know what it is, but I have to assume at some other point in the history of humans, sitting around and talking for an hour was a fine way to spend an afternoon. <laughs> You know, we're, we're built to handle it. If somebody you know or even don't know comes up to you and says, man, I'm in trouble, you got two choices there. You could say, like, what's going on, man? Or you can go, yeah, I got no time. <laughs> and I think we're built to, we're, we're equipped emotionally to handle human trouble. It's what makes us uh, beautiful things, beautiful animals. It's what makes communities work. The fact that we can only text and email now, and, like, literally, when you have to talk to somebody, you're like, no, I'm not going to engage with the voice. Yeah, I'll just text them. Yeah, it's, basically, leaving a voicemail is an act of aggression. Yeah. Because you're going to make someone listen to your voice for sure. 11 seconds. Sure, when I, 11 seconds, that's a gift. My brother will leave a four-minute one. Like, just ridiculous. My brother's the kind of guy, he calls you up, and he'll pause during voicemails. He's like, yeah, that's what's going on. Oh, and, um, and I'm like, what is happening? He doesn't even need me on the phone. The voicemail is all he needed. <laughs> your... Your new book, Attempting Normal, is such a compelling read, I have to say. To so anybody you. who's hearing this, I highly, highly recommend you pick up this book because it's not a book about comedy per se, and it's not a book about podcasting, and it's not just a book about the various ways that you've alienated people in your life, but it's kind of about all of that. And <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say something nice at the end. Um, <laughs> that, that just turned into like, yeah, all those things are covered. No, all the I, horrible parts of your I, personality are in there. No, no, I think it's actually, I, I found it tremendously illuminating, even in my own life, for, for reading your accounts of ways that you've dealt with people, sometimes for, for better and sometimes for worse. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, um, are you trying to become a better person, or is your basic approach, I sort of am who I am? I would like to think I'm trying to become a better person because the second guy you described is my father. <laughs> um, he might be everyone's father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't mean your dad, although no, he's I, a character but, in the book. Believe me, my dad couldn't be more uh, upset about this book, about the television show, about my success in general. And I did the best I could. I mean, I got Judd Hirsch to play him on television. And Judd Hirsch is a much better father than... But, uh, 
Well, no, I, th- I do think I struggle with things, and I do think because of certain things that happened in my life that I, I, I am trying to be a better person. I think that I was a good person, but, you know, once you get... You know, there's a sense of entitlement that happens when you chase a dream or remain delusional about what you're capable of. Uh, did that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, when things don't work out for you you, you, you can get into a very dark place, as you might know. You know, you see other people's successes, and, and you can only take them in one way that is directed at you. You know, what happened to me with the podcast, and the reason I think it was compelling uh, and remains so to a degree, is that when I started it, I was finished. I was finished. Things didn't work out. You know, and that's a, a horrendous moment that happens to creative people. That, uh, you know, either it's going to work out or it's not. You know, we, you choose to chase this dream of, like, I just want to express myself, which, if, if you really think about it, is a five-year-old's dream. So, <laughs> I just want to be a ballerina, you know. So, so now here you are in your mid-40s, you know, I'm going to do what I want. And that's not paying off. And if you really design your life correctly, by the time you realize that it's not paying off, you don't even have a plan B anymore. Um, <laughs> That's a beautiful, rough moment when you're in your 40s and you're like, screw this, I could always... Wow. Uh... There used to be things in that folder. I must have... I mean, like teaching, going back to school, was. I guess that's done. I... And then I'd gone through a divorce, so, you know, I was heartbroken and my career it had crapped out and I was depressed and, you know, I'd been humbled. And it's an amazing moment when you're humbled, truly humbled, because, you know, at that juncture of your life, you can choose two paths, either the, the bitter path. Now, you know, now if you are bitter and you think it's righteous bitterness, it's probably just amplified self-pity. So, <laughs> so either you're going to accept being humbled and build from there, which is from your true heart, or you're going to be the, uh, screw that, no one understands me guy and be alone and draining people. Those are your choices. I went with the, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the hit and start fresh. And, and it has grown into <laughs> such, a, I think, a, a really riveting podcast. And the, again, as I already said, the book is great. I love the TV show. All of this seems to have come together for you in this way. I guess I'm wondering, would it have been bad for you for all of this to somehow have worked out when you were like 27 or 28? Horrendous. It would have been horrendous because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. You know, who the hell knows when you're going to grow up? I I have no idea how that works. Uh, You know, I I, I, I don't. I have no idea. But someday, if you're lucky, it'll happen. And I... And I think when I was younger, I was so fueled by spite and weirdness and aggression, and I was pompous and arrogant that I don't, you know, I think it's, it's nice of you to think that those opportunities could have happened to me, but I was so busy alienating people that I don't think they could have happened. And the opportunities that I did have then, you know, I didn't screw up necessarily, but I really just wasn't ready for them. And my entire life, my career was driven by spite. My career was driven by me calling my manager up and going, why the hell is John Stewart everywhere? You know, that, that was the first 15 years of my career, is seeing Jon Stewart on magazines going, I get it, I get it. You win the cute Jew concert, contest. All right, so, so I had to see myself as the anti-Stewart for years. So I was not prepared in any way to, to handle any opportunity. I'm, I'm happy that it happened now. Uh, because, you know, I can show up. You know, I did the work. I'm prepared to deal with this. I've, I've earned it, and I've paid my dues, and I'm, and I'm relatively unafraid and, and pretty humbled, and that's a good way to go through life. Well, uh, I don't think... I don't think it could have happened to a better guy. You've always been incredibly generous with me uh, in various projects I've done, and uh, it's just... Uh, it's. It's totally, it's totally fascinating, the stuff that you're working on, and, and I would just say congratulations. So, Mark Marin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Thank you. That's Mark Marin. His new book is Attempting Normal. You can also see his show Marin on IFC and, of course, listen to his podcast, WTF. We'll be back in just a moment. 
All right, now it's time for some Q&A from our audience. Science, pop culture, relationship advice. You have questions and we have things that sound remarkably similar to answers. Our live audience has written their queries and sent them to the stage. Now they will be answered enthusiastically, but in a non-legally binding way. We have to say that. In a segment we like to call Dear Livewire. This is from Heather. She asks, what am I doing wrong? Well, Heather, you got to keep that back elbow up. You got to tuck your chin more. You got to punch through the board. You got to remember to breathe. Measure twice, cut once. Take small bites. Fill up the ice cube tray. Buy good socks. Tip a dollar more than what you think. And never, ever skip foreplay. It just got sexy up in here. Scott Poole. Sam asks, I hear Scott Poole is also a programmer. Is his code as creative as his poetry? Can I see? Sam, I don't show anybody my code because I'd probably get arrested for stealing all of it off of Google. (laughs) Yet I can't get hardly anyone to look at my poetry, and I'd probably sell more if I was arrested. So basically, something is suffering some creativity somewhere, but I think I have a handle on cruel irony. Scott Poole, not doing well. And last but not least, uh, the fabulous Mark Marin. One more time. This is a, it's a tricky one because it seems earnest. Are fairies real? And this is from Eliza, age eight. Right, so I don't want to crush her worldview. She's gone, but I still think it's important to know that, uh, yes, fairies are real as long as you don't limit your conception of what and who they are. That's Mark Marin, and that is Dear Livewire. And now some beer school for you presented by New Belgium Brewery. The country of Belgium is known for waffles and European land wars. Belgian brewers are known for incorporating unusual ingredients into their beers, like land wars. That's not really what it says here. In that spirit, New Belgian Brewery is rolling out their new roly boly seasonal ale flavored with the extremely unusual monk fruit and soursop. More information can be found at www.newbelgium.com. One more time, please give a round of applause for Natasha Cometo.
That is Natasha Cometo. And that is our show. Thank you so much. Our thanks to our guests, Monica Drake, Mark Marin, and Natasha Cometo. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners just like you find people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are Sean McGrath, Trisha Ferguson, Andrew Harris, and Laura Faye Smith. Our head writer is Courtney Hommeister. Show writers are Sean McGrath, Jason Rouse, and Scott Poole. Sound effects and direction by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom, and house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bauer. Show theme is written by our house band and Courtney Vondrelli. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.